The Step I Have Taken, Letter 8, by Edward Dennett. Letter 8. Blackheath, January, 1875. My Beloved Brother. When I had settled the questions of ministry and worship as held by so-called brethren, I felt the need to be clear on the question of discipline before making any practical move. There are many Christians, and we were among them, who believe that the Lord's table is open to all believers. This, of course, is basically true, or it would not be the Lord's table. However, are there any limitations given by the Lord Himself, in His Word? Different answers are given to this question. In the Anglican establishment, there is no attempt to use discipline. Any parishioner, except in one or two specified instances of gross sin, has the right by its laws, whether he is saved or not, to be a communicant. Since the one or two exceptions seldom come to the altar rail, there is essentially no restriction in the establishment. With dissenters, the practice varies. The Congregationalists or Independents often are as unrestricted as the Episcopalians. All who consider themselves believers are invited to the communion service. This also is the case with some Baptists, although it is not their common rule. In fact, they are divided into several classes. Some make baptism the condition of communion, some, membership of a church, but almost all profess to exclude those who are walking disorderly. But, as far as I know, doctrine is never a matter for consideration. Take the Association of Baptist Churches in London, to which we belonged. One very prominent member has denied in writing the total sinfulness of human nature, another has taught the non-eternity of punishment, but this does not affect their standing as members. We both deplored this. On one occasion, we stayed away from a meeting because we feared that, in God's sight, by going, we might be endorsing the views of the brother at whose chapel the association was meeting. Turning to so-called brethren, I found that there had been a division on this very subject. Hence, I had to very carefully examine this subject by the Scriptures. My question was, does the Bible teach that false doctrines, doctrines touching the person and work of the Lord, disqualify one from the Lord's table? To put it another way, should we have fellowship with the teachers and holders of false doctrine? In answering this question, I won't quote from the Old Testament, lest its application be denied, although the principle of separation from evil teaching is taught there. Instead, I will turn to the epistles as more applicable to the Church of God. Turn to Galatians 1 verses 8-9. Here, evangelists who preach another gospel are in view. What was this other gospel? It was the addition of ritualistic observances to faith in Christ as the means of salvation, a gospel that is common at the present time. If there is no discipline for false doctrine, these Galatian preachers should have received the right hand of fellowship, as they almost everywhere do now. But, what does Paul say? I would that they were even cut off who trouble you, Galatians 5 verse 12. At the end of Galatians, Paul states the principle that is continually binding on the church, as many as walk according to this rule, the true doctrine of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 6 verses 14-15, peace be on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God, Galatians 6 verse 16. The inference, then, is that we are not to have fellowship with those who do not walk according to this rule. In fact, back in Galatians 1 verses 8-9, Paul says that such false preachers should be accursed ed. Paul also says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, from such withdraw yourself, 
1 Timothy 6 verses 3-5. Read also the still stronger statements of 2 Timothy 2 verses 15-21 and 2 John 9-11. The epistles to the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3 also are full of similar teaching. Look at the portion addressed to the church at Ephesus. Our Lord, in approval, says, You have tried those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, Revelation 2 verse 2. On the other hand, he condemns Pergamos and Thyatira for tolerating false doctrine in the church, Revelation 2 14, 20. These passages convinced me that it was the Lord's mind that there should be discipline for false doctrine. The reason is obvious. If one who walks disorderly has to be put away from the fellowship of the saints, much more must the teacher of false doctrine be put away, because a little leaven, sin, leavens the whole lump, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6. So, if a disorderly walk leavens, much more does false doctrine. If a believer fails into drunkenness or other kinds of open sin, he brings dishonor upon his Lord, but the believers with whom he is associated are not likely to follow his obviously poor example. On the other hand, if a saint is led into false doctrine, he will begin to teach it, and many will become contaminated, leavened. I will give one example of this from my own knowledge. A certain minister adopted views that discredited the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of the believers connected with him followed him in these evil doctrines. For some time, the godly remnant were powerless. But, the minister, too confident of his own influence, was not content with the support he was receiving. So, he proposed that his doctrines should become the basis of their gathering. This opened the eyes of some who had been silent, but when the question was put to a vote, the church charter declared that the majority should settle such questions, the minister's proposal was defeated by only one vote. Thus, the leaven was stopped, since the minister was forced to resign. But, had that minister remembered the true character of leaven that it worked silently, the whole lump soon would have been leavened, as indeed, it already had become in God's sight before action was taken. It is a fatal doctrine that evil teaching may be tolerated. The condition of the church today is the result of this terrible laxity. Instead of being established in the truth, saints are asking, what is truth, for human opinion often is their only standard. Having become satisfied as to the principle, I reluctantly had to review the Bethesda controversy which split so-called brethren into two groups, one commonly known as open brethren and the other as exclusive brethren. Open brethren, so-called, hold more or less lax views on discipline for false doctrine, and thus are open to receive those associated with false doctrine. Editor Some years ago, I examined only one side of the case. Now, I also investigated the other side and talked with some who were acquainted with it from its beginning. I concluded that the whole difficulty arose over the question of discipline for false doctrine and over whether the action of one assembly in carrying out discipline should be respected and maintained by other assemblies. For example, suppose that a teacher of false doctrine is put out of fellowship in one locality. Is it right to receive him in another? The case should present no difficulty because, with the smallest amount of spiritual intelligence, any believer should see that if the assembly at Liverpool were to reverse the action of the assembly at Manchester in a matter of discipline, it would thereby deny the truth of the unity of the body of Christ. It also would declare that what was rightly done by the saints in one locality might be undone in another. See Editor's Note Editor's note, at this point, Mr. Dennett recommends several pamphlets dealing with the Bethesda matter that are no longer in print. 
I do not contend that mistakes have never been made in the application of the true principles of discipline. This does not fall within my ability to decide. My job was to decide whether the principles were based on the Word of God. I wish that all who are concerned about this subject would divest themselves of all extraneous considerations and simply confine themselves to the examination of the principles of discipline in dispute, asking but one question, is it scriptural or not? Until a person is settled as to this, he cannot decide on the merits of the Bethesda controversy. I want to remove one difficulty from the path of inquirers. One is often asked, can it be right to exclude such and such men from assembly fellowship? Look at their holy lives and their devotedness. Do you pretend to sit in judgment on their qualifications for the Lord's table? Such questions are common, and to some, very important. But, these questions simply have nothing to do with the matter. The only question we have to decide is whether discipline is to be maintained according to the Word of God. If so, it becomes simple obedience to the Lord, and not passing judgment on other believers. The Apostle John tells us, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments, 1 John 5 verse 2. So, we show love to the saints, not by admitting them to the Lord's table against God's expressed will, but by keeping God's commandments. Let me counsel all believers by the means of this letter to you, dear brother, to keep their eyes off men and fixed on the Lord. Then, they will find that the path of discipline for false doctrine, although sometimes very narrow, is the path of obedience to God. The teaching of this principle of discipline will stir up the most determined opposition, for whatever helps to keep the Church of God as the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, according to the divine purpose, is sure to excite the hatred of Satan. In no way can Satan accomplish his ends more successfully than by destroying the boundaries between truth and error. You, dear brother, are acquainted with church history. Is it not true that the weakness and the corruption of the church has always resulted from indifference to maintaining the truth regarding the allowance of leaven, sin, in both teaching and life? The fact is, if you once stop administering scriptural discipline, all assurance as to the truth is soon lost in the conflict of confusing opinions of men. Whatever the opposition that this principle of discipline may stir up, no one has a right to charge sectarianism of those who maintain it. A sect is made up of those who meet or associate together because they agree on a certain truth or doctrine, or hold to a particular form of ecclesiastical policy. Thus, Congregationalists, Baptists, Wesleyans, State Churchmen, and Presbyterians are all sects. In fact, they often speak of themselves as different sections of the Church. But when believers simply are gathered together, as members of Christ, around Him as head, in obedience to Him as Lord, and seek independence on the Holy Spirit to do all things in subjection to the Word of God, and to maintain the discipline which it calls for, etc., they are in no way a sect because there is a place at the Lord's table for every believer who is not disqualified by the Lord Himself because of an ungodly walk or false doctrine. This, I think, will be clear to every unprejudiced mind. Yours affectionately in the Lord. Edward Dennett